We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You don't want it. You don't need it. But you're going to get it anyway. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Here's Kevin. All right, Tommy's here today. I'm here today. Despite the weather, I'm here today. I didn't miss my radio show, Tommy. I'm not missing the podcast today for weather. You know me. I don't miss things for bad weather, and it is bad weather here. I didn't do a podcast yesterday. My apologies. I will make it up with another Saturday morning podcast with another special guest. I will just leave it at that. But last week we had Jay Gruden on Saturday, and that was the makeup for Missing on Wednesday, and I will have another Saturday morning podcast with a special guest as well. Um, The weather here, Tommy, it is frightful, but it is so, for people like me, delightful. It was supposed to be like three to five inches of snow followed by a lot of sleet and freezing rain. We got no snow. That's not true. At, at 4.30 when I woke up this morning, it, we had snow for 10, 15 minutes, and then it quickly changed to sleet. And I'm telling you, the sleet is already at 10.30 this morning as we start to record this podcast an inch deep. I mean, it is the driving conditions, nasty, but kind of fun. I was one of the only people out there driving around after the show this morning. Um, I love this weather, but I would have preferred the snow. Uh, it doesn't look like we're going to get that. We've had – I had Doug Cameron on the show, Tommy, this morning. you know, and, and I love the weather people, and I didn't call him out on this, and I wasn't going to. You know, He talked about how you know if you were watching me late last night, I told you it was going to be much less snow and more ice. But, you know, earlier in the day, most of them were saying three to five inches of snow, and it might stay snow longer, and and then we'll get the ice. Well, we didn't get any snow, which is fine. I know how hard it is to forecast. But do you remember Bob Ryan's promos after he blew up a, a, a forecast on Channel 4? And I love Bob Ryan. He was great. But they would be running promos the next day, as you heard right here last night at 1130. <laughs> You know, but meantime, the six o'clock newscast was totally wrong in his forecast. But at the very last second, pretty much after the storm started, he got it right. You know, it's amazing, and it, it's only gotten worse with uh, you know uh, more TV watching and and things like that, and you know the the whole channel, the Weather Channel, how people are obsessed with the weather. It's always been that way, you though, know, Tommy. I mean, I, I know that, but I mean, I think it's more so than ever, than ever now. 
When I worked on the news side at the Baltimore Sun, any time I got assigned to write a weather story, it ran on the front page. It, it, they just put it on the front page. When would you have ever gotten assigned to write a weather story? Well, if there was, let's say, if, if it was a, a hot day on December 23rd, if it was 65 degrees on December 23rd, they'd say, go out and write a weather story, or the vice versa. If it was like 28 degrees on May the 5th or something like that. I mean, with unusual weather, they send a reporter out to do a story about it. Okay. And they put it on the front page. All right. I mean, you know, Russell Buffalino one day and 65 <laughs> degrees on December 23rd the next. You were versatile, man. You were. Listen, listen, if you're a good reporter, if you're a good reporter, you sat in zoning board meetings in Podunk, Pennsylvania, and had to explain zoning laws and variances the next day in the paper. And then a school board meeting the next night. So you you got to be a quick study. Were there ever stories that you went on that you had to report on that you just didn't understand? Like what you just said, like you go to some sort of, you know, county executive meeting and they're talking about some building and variances and zoning laws and the whole thing. And it gets so complicated that it's hard to write because I will tell you that some stories written by writers and reporters, sometimes I'll read it and I'll be like, they don't know what they're talking about. And they explained it so poorly. Did you ever get completely stumped and just wing it? Because sometimes I read stuff and I'm like, they were just winging this. Oh, I don't think I ever just, you know, winged it. I mean, you know, but I'm sure I did a poor job explaining things from time to time. I mean, what you're trying to do is crystallize something that, some nugget of the most important detail of what transpired into something simple. Uh, ultimately, you know, the process is not as important as the results. And you don't necessarily have to explain the process. You have to explain the results sure. and why people should care about it. Uh, and when you read stories that are poorly explained, that's because they have poor, that's there. Those are writer-driven newspapers, and they're all writer-driven these days because there's not many editors anymore. A good editor is supposed to stop that, supposed to send that back and say, "Okay, write this so I understand it." Because if I don't understand it, nobody out there is going to understand it. Yeah, but that happens more and more uh, stories that you read because writers are, you know, they, they wrote it, so they like it. You know, they don't understand that it doesn't make sense. They wouldn't have turned it in if, it didn't, if they didn't think it made sense. So, I mean, that, those are poorly edited stories when you, you, you don't understand uh, what's going on. And you should understand pretty quickly. Like within the first four or five paragraphs, I mean, what the st- why you're reading the story and what it's about when you're writing a straight news story, that should be pretty clear. There are many times I, when I will read a story and I'll be like, whoa, it took me this long to get to the point that is the most important point. That shouldn't happen. Uh, yeah. Like you just no, said, you know, the burying the lead thing. But like you said, the result and make in simplifying it so anybody can understand the result is really what you want to get to. Now, I'm not talking about a column that builds and it builds, you know, suspense right. and anticipation. I'm talking about, you know, reported story. 
Like, tell me, did did the you know did the uh, as an example here locally, and it impacted me and people in Bethesda in particular? Did the purple line thing pass or not? Are they going to put in the purple yeah. line? Yes or no? Don't hit me with you know all of the different bids that have been submitted and and which bids going to be picked and which politicians you know are in favor and which aren't. Is it going to pass or not? Um, I, I was thinking about you as a columnist over the years because you've been a columnist for much longer now than you were a reporter. Is that that's accurate? Correct? Yes, it is. I was a news reporter for fifteen years and editor. And I actually wrote columns too, uh, as a news reporter. But I wasn't—that wasn't my full-time job. We've talked about various stories that you've been a part of over the years. I think certainly the most famous story would be, you know, your attendance at a mob dinner in which you stole the seating chart and ended up getting some big names that had, that had attended this this get together. I think one of your great stories um because it was written so beautifully even though you weren't there was your coverage of the opening ceremonies of the Sydney Summer Olympics. <laughs> <laughs> it was so it was so well done from uh, a local watering hole where you never left the stool on the bar and watched it on TV. But um, in all seriousness, I don't know. I mean, you know, there were, as I've explained to people in the past, your office when we had our studios in Rockville was like this shrine built to yourself. Um, and about yourself, but I really didn't pay attention. I didn't like being in your office because it was just, it was dizzying. Um, but what is the best column you've ever written, and what was your most recognized column? Do you know what it is, like, off the top of your head? Best column I've ever written. One that you know, wow. like, wow, that was phenomenal, That that comes to mind. And then uh, the one that also other people thought was great. And maybe award-winning. Well, a, a couple of years ago, uh, I uh, I won the uh, Society of Press Professional Journalists Award for National Sports Columns, uh, and that was that. That's not that's a big deal. There's no first, second, or third. They only pick one as a winner, and it's a nationwide contest. And you have to submit like three columns to do it. And one of the columns which wouldn't have interested probably a lot of people, was about this guy named Scott Christopher, who was a minor league baseball player back in the 80s with the Orioles, 70s and 80s. Uh, but he grew up in Fairfax, Virginia, had a, a terrible accident when he was six years old with a, a glass that had cut up oh. uh, one of his hands oh. and kind of left it deformed. And he wound up becoming, like, he played baseball at University of Maryland and was a terrific baseball player with basically one deformed hand. Sort of, not like Jim Abbott-like, right. you know, but, but it was a good story. Uh, and he wound up playing for the Orioles in the Orioles uh, farm system. Then, when he didn't make it in baseball, he became a famous artist, uh, a world-renowned artist. What kind of and artist? I saw, well, a painter. Okay. A painter. And uh, that was one of the columns because it was, you know, a good story, and it was long. It wasn't a typical length of a column. That's one of the three columns I remember that, I guess, captured their attention uh, and uh, telling his story. 
Hmm. Uh, I mean, it's hard for me to pick a sports column. Look, uh, I interviewed the old man from the old man in the sea in Cuba. That's that's a pretty good one for me. You know? Wait. Gregorio Gregorio Fuentes, uh, the guy who Hemingway wrote about in The Old Man in the Sea. Right. That was his model, his his ship captain. He was 103 years old, and I interviewed him in in, uh, a small fishing fishing village outside Havana. Uh, That was pretty good. What's, so, the, what's that's the one that comes to mind? What's the most famous non-athlete you've ever interviewed? Have you ever interviewed a president? Have you ever interviewed, you know? Um, uh, yeah, I oh, sat in the White House with Bush, at, with 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 Bush. Yeah, before on opening day right. of baseball at RFK. I remember that, uh, along with Dave Shinen and Hal Bodley, and interviewed the president for almost an hour. And you enjoyed that, uh, right? Yes, very much so. Look, I, I mean, now that's politics, okay? That's different from what we okay, went through. Okay, let's not, let's not mean, get into this. Just tell me. I, I'm not going to. But my okay. point is, I didn't agree with George Bush's politics, right. but I respected his office, and he was a very likable guy. I knew uh, baseball writers who loved the guy when he was the owner of the Texas Rangers, and he was great to talk to. Right. It made you feel very comfortable, you know? And if I mean, somebody voted, uh, it if one of your friends voted for him, you would. If one of his, if one of your close friends voted for him, you'd still be friends with that person. That's yeah, because that that's a difference <laughs> of opinion. So yes, that would be the case. They, would, I, they I wouldn't have really been canceled. Enjoyed, I really enjoyed, uh, you know, interviewing the president there. So that was that was pretty big. Look, I wrote a column uh, last January that nobody read for some reason. And I think it's one of the best columns I ever wrote. Oh, yeah, remind it was me. Right before the Super Bowl. Okay. Oh, about the Chiefs, all the Hall of Famers. No. Oh, no, what? no, 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 no. Which this, one? this was a different one. Uh, I put together my all Super Bowl brain damage team. Oh, yeah. It was, that was so depressing. It's one of the best things I've ever written. It was, the, it was the CTE column. But it was a column. Picking and all uh, position by position Mm -hmm. of brain damaged players who have played in the Super Bowl. Dave Duerson, um, uh, who 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 was on the list? The linebacker Uh, from the Chargers. Off the the top of my head, yeah, Junior Seau. Junior Seau. I'd have to go go back. Did you did you have a player for every position? Every position. Really. And, every position. And every position. Maybe not punter every, and kicker. Every player that played in a Super Bowl, it was documented a brain damage from football yes. or suspected yes. from CTE? Yes. And I thought that was a pretty powerful column. You know, because people always put together all kinds of all-star Super Bowl teams. Yeah, Super well, Bowl week. Let's all-star. have fun and let's celebrate yes. football this week, which was not what right. you did. No, and what I'm starting, let's remember, you've been on Radio Row, where half the guests that you get on Radio Row are people touting something that has damaged them. I mean, basically touting some kind of medical product to fix the damage that they suffered during while playing football. So, I mean, I always got, thought that was strange uh, during uh, uh, Radio Row, is you have so many, you have people being interviewed who, who, uh, who claim they have CTE, 
You have people who, you know, who's, who can't walk because of playing football. And this is half a radio row or interviews like that. And, I mean, I, always, I compared it to, uh, you know, a tobacco convention parading people in a cancer ward up on stage. I mean, so, not I mean, not, exa- not exact not exactly the same. There's there's not the same level of medical proof that there no, is. With, but it makes the point. It's, yeah, it's kind of okay. a strange occurrence. You know, and or the game to do that. All of those years of us doing Radio Row and having former professional football players paraded around to our tables and us saying either yes or no, or sometimes saying yes because it meant we would get somebody else. Do you remember any player? that sat down in front of us that you knew was suffering from brain damage from a football career, you know, or, you know, potentially from his football career. I mean, I remember some nobody bad comes, interviews, some really bad interviews. Nobody comes to mind. Okay. Yeah, nobody comes to mind. Uh, <laughs> of the athletes at the Super Bowl, that you, that, who was your favorite one, or one or two of your favorite ones to have interviewed? I mean, for the interview. Well, I'll tell you what. Uh, I'll, I'll tell you right now. Because, my fa- because you're the, because they like you because you like them. My my favorite interview. interview, and I don't know if you remember the details. I think this is actually on YouTube. Somebody shared this with me years ago. Was when we had Floyd Mayweather sit down with us, and I and I pushed him as to why he wasn't fighting Manny Pacquiao, and he said, "Well, nobody wants it." And I said, "I said that's that's crap. That's the only thing everybody wants." Why isn't this happening? And he got really confrontational. Do you remember that? Well, I should remember that, shouldn't I? Somebody sent it to me, and it might be, it might still be on YouTube somewhere, um, or at least part of the interview was. I I thought I'll he I out. thought he was fantastic, and I didn't realize how how much charisma he had until he was sitting in front of us. Because he wasn't yeah. a charismatic fighter, but he was a charismatic figure yes yeah two two of mine uh from the super bowl are i always liked steve young because he always brought a tie with me i remember yeah right (laughs) he was also he was also a good interview yeah but my favorite is deacon jones i knew you were going to say that he was great and for one for one particular moment uh i'm you know, Deacon Jones was in an odd couple episode uh, with Jack Klugman and, and Tony Randall. And I reminded him of it. And, uh, you know, it, it was very funny. And he was very good in it. And uh, his eyes lit up when I started talking about the odd couple. He was so happy to talk about that appearance. I mean, that's just, and, and I got such a kick out of that. You know, nobody else would care about it. But he cared about it, and he loved talking about it. I'm sure I brought up the fact that Deacon Jones was on the Brady Bunch. <laughs> I remember that because Peter was getting <laughs> bullied, and Deacon came in and helped him out. Um, you know, Deacon Jones, and I think many listening know this, but for those that don't, was almost like another son to George Allen and was like yes. another brother to the Allen boys and Allen and, and Allen's uh, George Allen's daughter. He's really like a, a member of that family. Do you know there's a game, you know, Deacon Jones finished his career in Washington. You know, George Allen brought yes, him did. to Washington at the end. And there's a game, and I think it is the end of the 74 season. 
I think it's the end of the 74 season. They played the Chicago Bears at, at, at RFK Stadium. I'm looking it up right now to make sure that I'm right about this. And uh, George Allen, in a blowout game, Washington crushed um, crushed Chicago. Let Deacon Jones, at the end of the game, kick an extra point in the game. I'm looking it up right now, 1974. Okay. Chicago was the season finale. There it is. Deacon Jones, final touchdown, kicked the extra point, and he made it for 42 to nothing. That was the final score. Bobby Douglas was the quarterback for uh, the Bears. Um, Sonny quarterbacked for Washington. That would have been his last game, regular season game. He came in that year in a playoff loss to the Rams and threw like three interceptions. But Deacon Jones, that's what I remember about Deacon Jones in Washington. That's it. I don't remember him being a good defensive player or a guy that had a lot of sacks because he was at the end of his career at that point. And they they had, you know, Dyron Talbert and Verlin Biggs and, you know, Dave Robinson and Ron McDole. Um, I don't even know how much Deacon Jones played on that team. I can find out here because they'll have his – um, game log, but I remember well, him kicking that extra point against it, Chicago. Uh, I forget who it was, if it was Sonny or some other uh, football Washington football player from that era. But originally, when George Allen, he'd been bugging George Allen the whole time to do it, the whole year. And so when What, George to kick the extra point? Kick, yeah. Oh, okay. And uh, to, to, when George sent him out to kick it, Sonny cursed him out and told him to get out of the huddle and sent him back on on, on the uh, sideline. Uh, but George sent him out again <laughs> uh, because Sonny thought it was embarrassing for the Bears to do. He thought it was poor. He thought it was a bad look. He thought it was rubbing it in. Uh, but at, George Allen insisted, so he got to kick it. That's interesting. I I didn't know that part of it. You know, it was only a few years later where Chicago knocked Washington out of the playoffs on the final Sunday of the year um, in an ice storm in the Meadowlands against the Giants, and maybe they remembered that. Um, I, uh, Yeah, that's what I remember about Deacon Jones. I don't remember him being part of the fearsome foursome in L.A. I don't remember those oh, years. Do. Yeah, I know you I do. remember that. I mean, he, that, that was such a great defensive front. And he's still considered by many – uh, uh, historians as the greatest defensive end of all time. I mean, and him and Reggie White uh, together. Right. And, you know, there's a lot of great defensive ends you could make the case for, but Deacon Jones is always in the conversation. And Deacon and they Jones... Didn't keep, they didn't keep stats at. Sack totals yep. when, when uh, he was stats. playing. Yep, exactly. That's what I was going to say. Um, it was long before they started to keep that uh, that number. But uh, mo- uh, most people think that Deacon Jones probably would be the all-time leader in sacks if they kept that stat during his career. Um, the fearsome foursome, Rosie Greer, Merlin Olsen, uh, Deacon Jones, and who was the fourth one? Lamar Lundy. Lamar Lundy. And Rosie Greer was the man that was there the night that Robert F. Kennedy was shot in the L.A. hotel yeah. in June of 68. He was right by his side, correct? Yeah. You can hear on the, uh, you can hear it on the video. Rosie, get the gun. Somebody right. yelling, Rosie, get the gun. Yeah. Yeah. Sir I met Sir Rosie Hans. Greer once, too, and it was another odd couple moment. 
because I met Rosie Greer at a dinner in Baltimore, and a lot of people were, you know, were looking to meet with him. And uh, so when I met him, I didn't want to take up too much time. I shook his hand. We talked for a little bit. And then I whispered to, into his ear, Salatio Arms. Well, Salatio Arms was a character that, that Rosie Greer played in a couple of Kojak episodes. Mm-hmm. Some of the best episodes <laughs> of Kojak ever. It was a great character. Uh-huh. And again, his eyes lit up, and he just got this big smile. Because I can't... I'm sure, I'm sure it's probably been decades since someone mentioned that to him. Well, God knows and you knew every episode by heart. I did, I did. And still do. Listen, I found Mike Bragg, yeah, the, the, punter, uh, the punter, punter for the team, right. told me this story about Deacon, if I could share it with you. Uh, this is, quote, Deacon was dying to kick, and he was badgering George to kick in the last game of the season. It was against the Bears. Uh, on the next to last time we scored, Deacon came into the huddle and declared he was going to kick the extra point. Uh, Mike Bragg said he was the kicker because Mosley was hurt. Mosley, I'm looking at it. it I'm looking hole. at the box score. Mike Bragg kicked all the extra points yeah. before Deacon Jones did. And Sonny was the holder. Sonny told him, get the hell out of here and get back to the sideline. <laughs> So Deacon goes back to the sideline. We kick the extra point, and everything is okay. About two minutes left in the game, and Deacon runs to George and says, if we score again, let me kick it. George says, okay. George figures they're not going to score. But we kick off to the Bears. They're, they're going to sit on it and run the clock, but they fumble it. Mike Bass picks it up and runs for a touchdown. We score, and George, true to his word, told Deacon he could go out and kick it. So Deacon goes in the huddle. And I see Sonny's head pop out of the huddle. He calls timeout and walks over to the sideline and says to George, do you really want to do this? Don't you think it would be rubbing salt in the Bears' wounds? George says, yeah, I know, but I told him he could do it. Sonny says, well, I'm not holding. That was Joe Theismann's first year. So George calls out, Joe, go in and hold it. Wow. So Deacon made the kick, and it was on the front page of the paper. So Theismann wound up holding because Sonny wouldn't be part of it. That's really that's really interesting. It also speaks to you know the relationship that Sonny and George had, which was not good. Um, yeah. Sonny didn't respect George's you know ability to, or didn't respect his philosophy, which is basically um, you know if you put the ball up in the air, two the three things can happen. Two of them yeah. are bad, yeah. and so we're not yeah. going to throw it that much. Which of course, you know Sonny too had the disappointment of finally getting the coach that he wanted in Lombardi and, you know, the prospect of winning under Lombardi and then and not getting that opportunity. You know, the the uh, the interesting thing about the Sonny Billy George Allen thing is Billy didn't start because George Allen picked Billy. Sonny was the presumed starter until he got injured in the preseason before yeah. George Allen's first year in 1971. And then in the 72 season, the Super Bowl season, he tore his Achilles at Yankee Stadium and was lost for the year. But, Tommy, this game that you're referring to, which I brought up because I remember Deacon Jones kicking the extra point against the Bears in the 74 finale, Washington went to the playoffs that year. So I'm looking at the box score. Um, Kilmer was not 
involved in the game for whatever reason. And actually, I know why he's not involved in the game. I can see it right now. And the reason is, is that they had already clinched their position in the postseason. They were playing the Rams the next week at the Coliseum, and Kilmer started that game. So Kilmer was basically resting um, in uh, in the season finale. So Joe Theismann came in. Sonny started the game. Um, it would be Sonny's last start of his career because 1974, he was 40 years old. It was the last start of his career. It would be his last start of his career. Um, and Joe Theismann came in and had a perfect passer rating. He was 6 of 7 for 123 yards and one touchdown, a 158.3 passer rating. It would be, for Joe, it would appear, one of only two perfect passer rating games of his entire career. What The other was a game in which it really didn't count because he was one for one. So that doesn't really count as a, you know, the, this was he came in in relief. Um, and and was 6-7 for 123 yards and never had a perfect passer rating game again, not even in his MVP year in 83, although he had a lot of 100-plus passer rating games that year. Theismann and that offense in 1983 was brilliant. But um, the next game for Washington, the playoff game at the Coliseum against the Rams, they lost 19-10. to Sonny Jurgensen came in for Kilmer in relief. Um, to try to rally Washington, and in a 13 to 10 game, he threw a pick to Isaiah Robertson that got returned for a touchdown that ended the game in the fourth quarter. Sonny was picked off three times in basically a half in his final game as an NFL quarterback. He was six of 12, 78 yards, three interceptions and a half of football, um, and they were all, you know, they all essentially led to. Um, the Rams winning the game 19 to 10, um, which knocked them out of the postseason. Um, in part of that stretch where George Allen had them as one of the best teams in the NFL. Okay. Uh, oh, I, I wanted to mention for those of you wondering if we were going to mention the Brooklyn Decker interview at the Super Bowl on Radio Row, because there were a few people I know, and we would have gotten this on Twitter. Um, that was a memorable interview, but it wasn't a great interview. It was memorable because Tommy melted down and that that's, you know, a legendary, so it's a legendary, accurately told sports fix story about how totally Brooklyn Decker, the cover, uh, the cover of the sports illustrated swimsuit issue, um, girl that year sat down in front of us in Brooklyn and I, uh, the two of us hit it off um, very much, and Tommy couldn't speak for the first five minutes of the interview um, because he was so taken with her beauty. Oh, uh, I wanted to mention. Well, I want to no no. I don't want. I don't want to hear. I don't want to hear about how you you're were trying to come up with some truth. guy's name. I was. Tr- I just couldn't yeah. come up with this guy's name. This director and I. And it's Dugan who was the director uh, yeah, I know, I know. of the movie he right. was promoting. Yes, okay. I mean, he was yeah. Richie Brockman. Well, you should have. I couldn't remember. Should have been his more prepared. Should have been more prepared. It that is why I was flustered. <laughs> well, you were sweating profusely. Um, the other thing I was going to mention to you real quickly, speaking of Super Bowls and Radio Row and weather, and we mentioned this the other day, on the Weather Channel about an hour ago, Jim Cantori was in Dallas, and he was having this back and forth with the anchor in Atlanta. Well, she's clearly a Texas and a North Texas Dallas girl, And she said to Jim Cantori, 
Uh, a lot of people are saying, a lot of my friends and family members back in Dallas are saying that's what what's happened here the last day and a half is the worst since the Super Bowl week, <laughs> which we were there for the entirety of it. We've already talked about it this week, but it was funny to hear yeah. somebody say that, and I guess people who live in Dallas do consider that to be the worst winter weather week they've ever had which we were there for the entirety of it. And it was not pleasant to be in Dallas that week at all. And, you know, all this does, what's going on now, is just guarantee that Dallas will never get another Super Bowl. (laughs) Well, um, the odd... If the weather had been good that week, they probably would have gotten another Super Bowl. But what the damage that did, and now uh, people can see 10 years later that it can happen again, they'll never get a Super Bowl. No other Super Bowl's been in Dallas since? No, I don't think so. I don't think so either, actually. Are we sure about that? I was until you brought it up. Um, I, Hold on. I think you're right, but for whatever reason, something makes me think that I, that I should check it to make sure that there um, wasn't another Super Bowl in Dallas. Let's see. I'll put your staff on it. Uh, my staff, my it staff is on it. Uh, Arlington, Texas. February 6th, 2011, and no, it has not been back. There you go. And it's not coming back. It isn't? I thought there was one scheduled for there, but maybe not. I don't think so. Put it this way, Tommy. The chances of that happening obviously are once in a, you know, Hundred years, although once or maybe once in every ten years, clearly because eleven yeah. years later, uh, they've had the same thing. Um, all right, I, I we've got a couple of things that I want to get to, including um, the Joe Buck uh, Colin Cowherd podcast. I don't know if you heard what Joe Buck said on Colin Cowherd Cowherd's podcast about drinking on the air while doing a game. We'll get to that, but up next, Alex Smith told the NFL Network pretty much he's coming back. The question is whether or not people in Washington and the team itself would actually want him back here. Uh, We'll get to that right after this word from one of our sponsors. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Washington back on top again. Terrific grab. Logan Thomas at 6'6", 
250 and needed every inch. That was the touchdown pass that Alex Smith threw to Logan Thomas that gave Washington the lead in the uh, first half, end of the first half, against the Eagles in the game they had to win to end the season. The game in which Doug Peterson, essentially at the end of the game, tapped out uh, by pulling Jalen Hurts um, and putting in uh, poor Nate Sudfeld into that spot. Uh, I'm bringing Alex Smith up today because he did an interview, Tommy, um, with the NFL Network's Kyle Brandt. Um, I think it's the morning show on the NFL Network. I think that's what it is. Um, and there were a couple of things that he said, um, and I'm going to read them to you. He was asked uh, if he was going to play again in the future. And he started off the answer by saying, you know, I had no idea how my leg and body would respond to the combination of being out for two years and the injury and the limb salvage and all of that stuff. I had to wear a brace to do anything. I had no idea how I would respond to that. It's one thing to go out there one day and roll, but could I do it over the course of the season? And I think the most encouraging thing for me, I pounded on my leg every single day harder than I ever thought. Uh, And I felt like I got stronger and stronger and stronger. The more I pushed it, the more my body responded and my leg did for that matter. I felt like if anything, it only fueled me even more that I can roll and keep going. Uh, Obviously, it was unfortunate at the end of the year to get the bone contusion uh, and struggling the last couple of weeks, but it was completely unrelated to my prior injury. So I'm excited. I'm excited to see what I can do this off season. I feel like I've got a list of things football wise and just life wise that I want to do again. And I've been wondering about ever since I broke my leg and wondering if I'd ever do it again. I want to go chase those down this off season. Um, so he said, I still feel like I've got a lot of ro- lot of room for growth on the field based off of what happened last year. So this in combination with the report, I think from Jeremy Fowler, Fowler over the weekend on ESPN that he's Uh, going to come back, or maybe it was Albert Breer, I forget. Um, You know, I think the indications are there. He wants to play next year. So I actually put out a poll and ended up taking calls this morning on the radio show. The poll was really simple. It was, if Alex Smith decides he's going to play football next year, do you want it to be here in Washington, you know, for the Washington football team? And 2,500 votes later, 77, 77% of the people say no. 23% say yes. And there's a lot of comments in there because there's, you know, not everybody says no definitely. A lot of people say no, but if he comes back, you know, at $4 million bucks a year as a backup or as a guy that could compete, but he's not going to be handed the starting job, maybe he's been such a great leader, yada, yada, yada. Um, by the way, just if I if I haven't said this this week with either Tommy or Cooley, he's not coming back next year under the deal he's under. That's the absolute lock when it comes to Alex Smith. There is no chance that Alex Smith is going to be a $24.4 million cap hit on Washington's roster next year. If he ends up in a Washington uniform, it's going to be under a complete new restructured deal where he gets, you know, four, five, six million with some incentives. Um, how do you feel about this? I'll let you go first and then I'll share my overall thoughts on whether or not I want Alex Smith back next year. Well, I mean, I think that, uh, I think the Tom Brady performance this year, uh, leading up to a Super Bowl championship, 
probably reinforces the notion that this guy, Alex Smith, thinks he, what is he, 37? Yep. Six years younger than Tom Brady. Right. He's got some more, he's got some more years in him, he probably thinks. If the leg isn't an issue for him, which he may believe it's not, uh, then he's probably thinking, I love playing. Uh, I can compete. Why shouldn't I keep playing? So I understand uh, why he's doing it. Uh, I just don't think he's he's very good. <laughs> right. I mean, I, I there is that. He's very good. You know, I mean, he he's not going to lose a game for you, but he's not going to win that many either. And uh, although you know this year, I mean, he he was better uh, under Scott Turner and Rivera than he was under Jay Gruden's offense. I thought so. You know, I thought he was more productive, but I still don't have a lot of faith in him. Not that I have uh, a lot of faith in Kyle Allen or or the Heineken guy, uh, but uh, but I know what you I know what you're getting with Alex Smith. And if I'm a Washington fan, I need to see something different. I mean, what Alex Smith? I don't think it's going to take you to an 11 win season. I'm not saying Kyle Allen will either, but I just, I mean, I, I, if I'm a Washington fan, I want to see something different than Alex Smith. I've seen enough of them. I know, I know what the expectations are, and there's a ceiling to it. Yeah, there's a ceiling to it, I think, too. Um, you know, he was 5-1 and one as a starter this year. He was 6-3 and three as a starter before. He's 11-5 and five as a starter. Many people tweeted me, do you know what his record is as a starter? It's the best record of any starting quarterback here in 30 years. Uh, yeah, no, I'm, I'm familiar with his record at 11-5. and five. I'm also familiar with the fact that watching him, he's never been that dynamic of a quarterback, and he's never, in my mind's eye, been a quarterback that you're going to win a Super Bowl with or you're even even going to go deep into the postseason with. Now, um, the bottom line is they don't feel that way either about him because if they did, they wouldn't have tried to trade for Matt Stafford. If they did, they wouldn't have expressed interest in Jared Goff, Derek Carr, Marcus Mariota. Uh, and by the way, um, I was not on the pod. We didn't do a podcast yesterday. I know pretty much for fact um, that there are people in that organization that do like Sam Darnold, and there are also people in the organization that like Justin Fields a lot. Um, so keep that in mind uh, as we you know continue through this you know off season of the quarterbacks in the NFL and perhaps a quarterback carousel being the number one story. So Ron Rivera and Scott Turner and you know now Martin Mayhew and Marty Herney. They don't think Alex Smith is the answer either as a starting quarterback here next year because they've tried to you know upgrade. They don't think Taylor Heineke or Kyle Allen is necessarily their best option either because they've tried to trade for starters and they've expressed interest in guys that they would bring in more likely than not as the starter. You know, m- maybe not Mariota, um, and but probably Goff, probably Carr, if they indeed expressed interest over either one of them. So the point is, is that they're ready to move on from Alex Smith. If they had traded for Matt Stafford, like the Rams did, if Washington had pulled that trade off, Alex Smith would already be released. He'd be gone, and they would have they, they would have said, "Hey, we want to give you plenty of time to find your next spot. We're going to release you now." He wouldn't be on the roster. 
if they had traded and if they had been successful trading for Matt Stafford. Here's Here's the thing. I want them to continue to swing big and try to upgrade at that position. I've already expressed how I feel about Deshaun Watson. I'd almost give up anything to get Deshaun Watson. I really wanted Stafford. They couldn't pull it off. I like Sam Darnold. Many of you have made it very clear that you don't and that I'm out of my mind. Um, In terms of the quarterbacks in the draft, I'm not sold on any of them, and I'm not sold on trading up for any of them, but it wouldn't surprise me if they did. I don't know what the answers are on Kyle Allen or Taylor Heineke, but I would bet that they're not franchise quarterback answers. That's just a a wager I would make if I was forced to make it. I don't know the answer. Maybe Taylor Heineke is. Maybe Kyle Allen develops, you know, into a guy that's a true franchise quarterback. But just their actions in this offseason already would tell you that they're not convinced of that. You're not going to trade a first, a third, and a player for Matt Stafford if you think you've got a top 10 to top 15 quarterback on your roster making hardly any money in Taylor Heineke and or Kyle Allen. So they've told you through their actions that they don't think they have their long-term or franchise quarterback on their roster. And so I want them to continue to take swings at this. If they fail, because they've already failed, they failed you know, to get Matt Stafford, and there is nobody left that they really want. You know, they they couldn't get Sam Darnold if Darnold became available. Watson and Wilson and and Prescott and Winston, you know, none of those guys were ever available, and they weren't really interested in Tyrod Taylor or Andy Dalton or Ryan Fitzpatrick, who, by the way, to me would be a great one to two year answer. Um, uh, but or Derek Carr, and they strike out on all, you know, on the whole process of trying to upgrade at quarterback. I don't I'm not against Alex Smith coming back at four to five million bucks a year with incentives with Taylor Heineke, you know, at a million bucks a year, and Kyle Allen at eight hundred and seventy-five thousand dollars a year, and having the three of them compete for the starting job. And if Alex doesn't win it, his leadership, his mentorship, and his backup ability is still on the roster. But that's only if they swing and miss on everything else that they want. So that's my position, I, which would lead more likely, it would, it would lead to me saying my preference would be that he's not on the roster next year. But if he is because they couldn't get anybody better, I'm okay with it. Like he did play well at times last year. The game he had against Detroit was really a, a, an outstanding game. The game he managed against the Cowboys on Thanksgiving Day. The second half against Pittsburgh. You know, he had some really good moments. He was yes, he, he was he was influential in them winning five of their final seven games. It's it's not lost on me that the two games that they didn't win were the two games that he didn't play in at all. The Carolina and Seattle games. So I'm I that's that's where I am on on, on that. You know, if he's back because they couldn't get anybody and they restructure them, and you got all three of them. Okay, that's fine. Let's go get a middle. Let's get a middle linebacker. Let's get another corner. Let's get a left tackle. Let's get another receiver. Let's not, you know, spend draft capital or big salary cap space on a quarterback. Um, and let's bring Alex back and have him there like he was this year. And who knows? Maybe he will be better this next year. Maybe he will be healthier. 
And if you told me right now, oh, he, he uh, another offseason of him doing what he did last offseason, he's going to be much healthier. You know, then I would be I would be intrigued to see what he was next year. But with that said, to your point, even perfectly healthy, pre-injury, I just didn't think the ceiling was very high. Yeah. Now the nightmare scenario for everybody is they make a trade for a quarterback, whoever it is, whether it's a Mariota or a Darnold or something like that. And it, it doesn't work. They get it wrong. Their big shot uh, at, at, at the quarterback, and they get it wrong. That's uh, a nightmare scenario. Well, it depends. If you give up a fifth rounder for Marcus Mariota because okay. the Raiders are going to yeah. release him anyway, that's not a big mistake. It's a big mistake. The, the, the chance of making the big mistake is much greater in the draft than it is via a trade or a free agent signing. Because either if you... way, either, either way, uh, like I, I've said before, I believe that Ron Rivera does not have a step-back year. Uh, not that he's going to get fired, but he, he doesn't have the luxury after a 7-9 and nine division-winning season to step back to 4-12. and 12. I don't think he does. I, th- I think I think all that does is, um, unless the owner, the current owner, is not there anymore, if he's still around, all that does is empower the the, the, the current owner. If 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 Ron Rivera takes a step back, because the grumbling will begin if he does, and if he takes a step back with the quarterback that he picked, that he traded for, then that's even worse. Well, you're not moving on from one of the owner's favorites. I mean, at this point, he understands the limitations that Alex probably has. So Alex is no longer a favorite, even though it was Bruce and Dan that basically traded for Alex without consulting anybody in the organization that knew anything about football. Um, You know, you're not moving on from RG3. You're not moving on um, from, you know, an owner favorite. So... And the owner probably recognizes, hey, we need to make a move in this area. You know, I, I, I doubt the owner sitting there like some of the fans are thinking that Taylor Heineke's the answer. Um, although Taylor Heineke well, would be a not. phenomenal thinks, story. And of course he's – I mean, how, how many jerseys can they sell? Taylor, Taylor Hobby? <laughs> Look, Dan Snyder, and I don't blame him for this, you know, probably goes to, to, to sleep every night thinking about Deshaun Watson. Who wouldn't? Right. You know, real quickly on Deshaun Watson, um, Jason Lockenfora, I think, wrote this story last night that if he is available, that Carolina will be the one that will be most aggressive going after him. Yeah. And yeah. and in thinking about that, if let's just say I don't think Houston's going to trade Deshaun Watson. I don't think that Dak Prescott's going to be available. I think he'll end up being with the Cowboys. I don't think that Jameis Winston's leaving uh, going anywhere either. Um, but um, if he ended up in Carolina, then you could add that to the list of quarterbacks that Washington will face next year, and then you basically hit every – basically most lists of the top ten quarterbacks, Washington would be facing seven or eight of them next year on their schedule. 
I've gone through this before, but basically in the AFC, if there's a 17th game, Josh Allen, plus they're playing the AFC West, which means Pat Mahomes. So Josh Allen, Pat Mahomes, two of the top five or six, obviously. Mahomes probably number one. They're playing um, a first-place schedule in the NFC, which means they're playing Aaron Rodgers and Russell Wilson. And then they've got the entirety of the NFC South, which means Tom Brady, Matt Ryan, and if Watson went to the Panthers, Deshaun Watson. That's seven right there of the top ten. To you know, I don't know where you'd have Matt Ryan, but Ryan's been a top ten guy or close to it at various points in time. I didn't even mention Justin Herbert, who they will also face in the AFC. You know, you're basically going to have half of your schedule if all of those quarterbacks are upright and healthy, where you're playing a top ten quarterback, and in many cases, the entirety of the top five: Mahomes, Josh Allen. If Deshaun Watson ended up in Carolina, Watson, Rodgers, and Wilson. That's the top five, brother. You're not missing any of them on your schedule next year if Deshaun Watson ends up in Carolina. So just keep that in mind. And Most of you know I'm not a big schedule guy, but quarterbacks are the ones that typically are available and are playing. Not always, but anyway, um, there was a uh, – uh, ESPN did um, a story this morning predicting the 32 NFL teams starting quarterbacks for 2021. So, you know, Kime does it for Washington. Um, Kime projected Ryan, Fitzp- Ryan Fitzpatrick. I say it's Kime. It's not initialed with Kime here, but usually Kime will do this for ESPN.com. And Ryan Fitzpatrick, and it's written that Washington is in the same category as the Patriots, in need of a quarterback addition, but too far down the draft order to count uh, to count on that th- count on that. Excuse me, as the avenue to address it. Fitzy is about as well traveled as any other player in the league over the past 15 years, but he continues to play at a strong enough level to merit starting consideration. It's often a roller coaster with him under center, but he has an infectious energy that cannot be discounted. We saw it last year in Miami when he helped the team in a few gotta have it situations. I think that would be really interesting to have Ryan Fitzpatrick here next year. I think that it would be. I think it'd be a lot of fun. I think it'd be so much fun. Unless they, unless he's stunk up the place. But if he's typical fits, I think it'd be a lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, there, There is um, the NFL the, the, the other piece on ESPN.com and it was interesting to see all of the guesses, was guessing Washington's quarterback um, starting quarterback in 2021. That, I guess, was what Kime wrote, or maybe that was a consensus of what everybody thought. Um, but uh, there were several Cam Newtons in there, several Ryan Fitzpatrick's in there, and several Sam Darnolds in there. You know, so it's not, you know, most people do not think that Washington's starting quarterback is going to be Alex Smith, Taylor Heineke, or Kyle Allen. I actually, no, I actually do believe that those are the odds. Like, here it is. Um, this was the other column. Who will be Washington's starting quarterback in week one in 2021? Well, the consensus was Ryan Fitzpatrick. The guess is per writer. Kime actually wrote Sam Darnold. Matt Bowen, Ryan Fitzpatrick. Mike Clay said Alex Smith. Jeremy Fowler said Sam Darnold. Dan Graziano said Cam Newton. Jason Reed said Sam Darnold. Kevin Seifert, who I really respect, said Sam Darnold. Seth Walder, the analytics guy, said Cam Newton. And Field Yates said Ryan Fitzpatrick. 
So there's only one guy there. I, I was wrong. One guy thinks it'll come from the list of Smith, Heineke, or Allen. And it's Mike Clay. He thinks that Alex Smith will be the starting quarterback. I My guess, I think we've already done this, but I'll just do it again. My guess is that Kyle Allen is the starting quarterback opening day 2021. That's my guess. That they swing and miss multiple times in the offseason. They end up with either two of them, uh, Heineke and Allen, or all three of them, including Smith, and that Allen wins the job. What's your guess? I, I think that's a good guess. I would agree with that. Okay. I mean, you know, they, they traded for Kyle Allen. Uh, they really like him. Uh, you know, I think they want to see a full season of him here in Washington. I mean, you know, if he can stay healthy. Uh, so uh, I think the odds are that I, I, that Kyle Allen is your starter uh, at the start of the season if he's healthy. I'm looking through this story because I think it's interesting. It's actually the first one that I referenced where the guest was Ryan Fitzpatrick, and I was wrong. This was not a John Kime pick. John Kime picked Sam Darnold. The story's written by Field Yates, longtime ESPN NFL insider. And he guesses the starting quarterback for each of the 32 teams opening day 2021. He's like, you have the teams that are obvious. You know, the Chiefs with Mahomes, Brady, Buccaneers, Rodgers, Packers, Russell Wilson, Seattle, despite the you know recent stories about Russell Wilson maybe being traded. Josh Allen, Buffalo, Lamar Jackson, Baltimore, Kyler Murray, Arizona, Ryan Tannehill, Tennessee, Justin Herbert, the Chargers, Baker Mayfield, Cleveland. He's got Dak Prescott in Dallas, Joe Burrow, Cincinnati, Matt Ryan, Atlanta, Ben Roethlisberger, Pittsburgh, even though I've read some things about that where – um, Kevin Colbert, their their VP of football ops, it really sounds like Roethlisberger is going to have to take a major, major restructuring so that they he helps out their salary cap for him to be back. But he's got Roethlisberger there, Cousins in Minnesota, Derek Carr with the Raiders, Garoppolo with the 49ers, Hertz in Philadelphia, Tua in Miami, Daniel Jones in the uh, for New York, and Drew Locke in Denver. So now he's got teams with new starters. Rams, Matt Stafford, Lions, Jared Goff. We know that. Jags, Trevor Lawrence. Saints, Jameis Winston. And then he's got Deshaun Watson in Carolina. He's got Watson to Carolina in a trade. He's got Carson Wentz reuniting with Frank Reich in Indianapolis. Marcus Mariota being the starting quarterback in New England. As I mentioned, Ryan Fitzpatrick in Washington. Justin Fields in Houston. Zach Wilson, the BYU quarterback, for the Jets. Sam Darnold for the Bears. This is actually, you know, this is an interesting story because this is what people are trying to do right now. Like, who, who, who's going to be where opening day? That's a lot of movement, man. That is a lot. I mean, because you got the Stafford and Goff thing already. Watson to the Panthers. Wentz to the Colts. Mariota to the Patriots. Fitzpatrick to Washington. Houston drafts Justin Fields. The Jets draft Zach Wilson. And the Bears tra- trade for Darnold. That's a lot of quarterback change potentially in one off season, a lot of it. And right now, you know, as of February 18th, there's only been one official move. Stafford to the Rams, Goff to the Lions. That's the only thing that's definitely happened. And I know the league's year doesn't start until March, but for the trades, you can get those done now. 
You know, you're now in that window of either franchising or signing your own guy like a Dak Prescott or a Jameis Winston to a long-term deal. None of those things have happened yet. But anyway. I'm just kind of I'm kind of curious. Uh, where does the Alabama quarterback, Mac Jones, fit in for you? I don't know. So I was, I'm trying to think. I think I had this conversation with JP or somebody yesterday or the day before. It may have been Ben Standig. I... If Washington stays at 19 and the guys they have a chance for are guys like Mac Jones or Kyle Trask, I've been a Trask fan from the day that he took over for Felipe Franks at Florida. I actually, the the first night he came in, he was the third stringer and then he became the second stringer and Felipe Franks got hurt for Florida two years ago in a game against Vanderbilt, which by the way, I had Florida for the legal limit that night. So that's why I was watching the game. And Trask came in, and he played so well. And he, he looked you know, like he's 6'5", 6'6", big and strong Tommy. And he just looked the part. And I remember sitting there with my son going, that dude looks like an NFL quarterback to me. And then, you know, he continued to start and continued to have success. And then, obviously, at one point this year, he was one of the Heisman Trophy legitimate contenders. And he's worked his way into a potential you know, potential first-round status. Um, so I like Trask. I do like Trask. Uh, by the way, that game was against Kentucky, not Vanderbilt. Um, I like Trask a lot. Uh, but he's not the mobile guy. He's immobile. Mac Jones, uh, who knows? He's got the best talent, and he's throwing to guys who are wide open, and then when they get wide open yeah. and catch the ball – they score. But to be fair, Trask has had a bunch of those guys too. He had the best tight end in America, maybe the best tight end prospect in years in Kyle Pitts. And Kadarius Toney is going to be a first-round pick as well. Um, I don't know. I, I, I Honestly, I think it's so hard. My guess is that Kyle Trask ends up being an NFL quarterback. I don't know if it's a good one, but I think he's in the NFL for a long time. I'm not sure about Mac Jones. People loved his senior bowl um, and the senior bowl week. Um, and a lot of people think that he could be, you know, a, a top 12 guy now. I am not a Kellen Mond fan, the guy from Texas A&M, that people have, you know, late first to fourth, somewhere in that range. I did like Jamie Newman when he played at Wake Forest. I would have liked to have seen him play at Georgia, but he opted out of the season because of COVID concerns. Uh, but... My, my my number one off-season preference of what was, to me, realistic was Stafford. I think this team would have been a contender for the next three years with Stafford at quarterback. I think that they, even with even if they ended up playing a brutal schedule, which it is on paper now, but if, if it turned out to be that, I still think they would have been super competitive next year and then in 2022 may have come back as one of the favorites to, to be legitimate NFC favorites. One of the, you know, one of the two or three teams, but they didn't get him. I don't consider Watson no, to be reality. I think that's total fantasy. First of all, I don't know that he'd want to come here. Um, the Carolina thing makes sense because he's from that area of the country. So, anyway, I mean, the, most of the other guys that we've talked about, and uh, I don't know, if I put Fitzgerald in this category or not. Fitzpatrick, uh, maybe I would. Fitzpatrick. Uh, like I've said before on the podcast, if you're not going to make a big jump at quarterback, 
I just as soon stand pat. I with I, what you've got. I don't think I, I don't have a problem with that. I just have a problem with those that say, "Don't make, don't take a big leap, don't trade a lot of draft capital, don't spend a lot of money." You know, all of these quarterbacks that end up winning Super Bowls, you know, take Brady out of the equation, usually are drafted by their teams. Okay, right. And how's that worked out for 30 years? Like, to me, I'm I'm thinking big when it comes to that position. I'm thinking big, I'm swinging big, and, but, 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 but for the right guy, to your point, I'm not going to overpay for Marcus Mariota. I'm not going to overpay for Sam Darnold, even though I like him. I'm not giving up, you know, more than a first rounder. I think I would give up a first rounder for Sam Darnold, but certainly not a first plus. But I, I wouldn't even. Cooley has really emphasized this, and I think I've come around to his thinking. He's much less concerned about draft capital if you are convinced that it's the right guy. Like if you are absolutely convinced, say Matt Stafford is going to make you a Super Bowl contender, or Deshaun Watson, then draft capital should be the least of the potential you know, uh, forms of payment that you should be concerned about. It's, it's trading players that you already know are good rather than players that may or may not be good. I think I agree with that philosophy. I, I didn't have a problem, and it would be totally revisionist history. I didn't have a problem with them trading what they traded to get up to draft RG3. I thought, well, why not? Who cares? If he's the right guy, I mean, if he ends up being a superstar at the position, is anybody going to care that you gave up three ones and two twos? No. Nobody's going to care if you, if you get it right. If you, if you trade you know, a first, two firsts and a third, or a first and a third to, to, to move up 12 spots to draft Justin Fields, and he's the right guy, or let's say two firsts, you know, next year's and the year after to get up to number four to draft Justin Fields, and it turns out that he's the right guy, and he's the next Pat Mahomes, Does, will anybody care that you gave up those draft choices? No. Okay, but it, let's say you swing big, and on a guy that you're convinced of. Right. And you're wrong. Yeah. It's over. Well, it hurts. It's all over. But what they gave up to the Rams, look at who the Rams used all of that draft capital to draft. Nobody turned into a I know, superstar. You don't care what the you don't care what the other team does. I yeah, mean, what do you care? But the possibility exists you're gonna strike out on all those picks too. I look, know that. Look, what I but have my, rather my had... Point, but the only position that, that counts, the one we're talking about for the past 20 minutes, is the quarterback yes. position. Yeah. And if they swing big and miss, it's over. If they swing big and not miss, yeah, miss. If they swing big or bigger and get a guy they want and it fails, it's over. Well, I don't know what you mean by it's over. They're going to continue to play the games. It just would be a major it's setback over. and hit. You'll be you'll be in the same cycle you've been in, and Ron Rivera won't be the coach in a couple of years. Tops. Yeah, but the problem with thinking that way is 
if you decide not to take the big swing where you could potentially miss and you decide to, okay, we're going to keep that position light in salary cap space. We think Taylor and Kyle can do the job and you play them and neither one of them turns into the franchise quarterback and you've got middling seasons with a really good defense. It's over for you too. I get that. But I mean, the, the, the setback. I'm not. I'm not saying that they shouldn't do it if it if it's a guy they're convinced of. But they better get it right. Well, Deshaun Watson because to me, it, the, the Deshaun Watson, if he actually became available, I'd be all in. I'd I'd make sure that nobody topped my bid, um, and that I went full you know full force after him. Um, the you know the only thing the to me the only way that that would get ruined would be injury, and that's always a risk, you know. What about Russell Wilson? Oh my God! I mean, I would love Russell Wilson here. I don't get now the the the, the age difference between he and Watson. I'd rather have Watson. You know, there's seven years right. difference, but it, you know Russell Wilson is a massive impact player. Imagine Russell Wilson here with this defense. Add another receiver. Um, and by the way, you attract now all of a sudden you're going to attract people, you know, with Kyle Allen and Alex Smith and Taylor Heineke, all of you that are like, well, we're going to go get Allen Robinson. Well, Allen yeah. Robinson may not want to come here without, you know, a quarterback that he feels comfortable with is going to throw him, you know, a hundred balls this year, this upcoming season. You know, you got to have people that can attract other people because, I mean, I wonder how attractive Washington is now relative to recent years anyway. It's probably more attractive because at least it's not, you know, a hot mess. Um, But they don't have a quarterback answer that we're sure of. So offensive skill position players uh, like Allen Robinson may be able to go to L.A. and play with Matt Stafford on a team that will contend for the Super Bowl this year versus coming here and maybe having Taylor Heineke or Kyle Allen as his quarterback. And he may view that as Mitch Trubisky number two. Yes, he may. I mean, why why would I leave Chicago to go play for Taylor Heineke? Yeah. By the way, that was another in this column. Where will Allen Robinson be playing in 2021? Jeremy Fowler said Washington. Jason Reed said Washington of the writers that answered that question. And then there were a couple of Rams, a couple of Colts, um, a couple of Patriots. I like Allen Robinson a lot. I think he'd be an incredible side-by-side guy with with uh, Terry McLaurin. In fact, in many ways, I oh, think Allen have to pay him. They're yeah. going to have to pay him, right? Well, they've got money. They've got cap space. That's yeah, for sure. Um, Allen Robinson, just as a quick, you know, uh, comment. Allen Robinson would be more the wide receiver one than Terry McLaurin would. It's close. Yes. But Allen Robinson is definitely a number one. So is Terry. But I think Allen Robinson's a little bit higher on the number one scale. It's close, though. If they, if they Look, Washington proved last year that they wanted another receiver. They offered Amari Cooper a boatload of money, more than Dallas did. And so I fully expect them to be in the wide receiver market and free agency again. Whether it's Robinson or Kenny Galladay or... You know, Godwin is a slot guy. Um, I expect them to be in that market. They wanted Amari Cooper on a team last year that they weren't expecting to contend for anything. But they knew what Amari Cooper and Terry McLaurin meant for any of their quarterbacks. 
So they're gonna they're gonna go after a receiver, and I think Allen Robinson seems like a really logical target. It makes a lot of sense to go after a guy like that. <clears throat> All right, I wanted to get to this Joe Buck thing. I know you wanted to mention the uh, Tatis deal in San Diego. Uh, we'll do that right after this word from one of our sponsors. The best way to learn a language: immersion, living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way, and that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Uh, This segment brought to you by MyBookie at MyBookie.ag. If you use my promo code, KevinDC, they'll match your deposit halfway up to $1,000. Some really good college hoops tonight, uh, including Houston, who's excellent this year, playing Wichita State in the line. To me, appears to be a bit short at minus 7.5. Wisconsin tonight, home in a Big Ten matchup against Iowa, laying two against the Hawkeyes. Uh, that reeks a little bit as well. My bookie at mybookie.ag. They've got you know live betting, in-game betting. They've got a live casino, a, a race book, so much more. Go to my bookie at mybookie.ag. Use my promo code Kevin DC. They'll match your deposit halfway up to a thousand bucks. My bookie is fair, uh, and you get paid if you win. Um, I wanted to play this soundbite for you. Um, this is Joe Buck as a guest on Colin Cowherd's podcast, I believe it is. I want you to listen to what he said when Cowherd asks him about the relationship and the comfortable relationship that Buck has on the air with Troy Aikman. I told Troy this. I said, every broadcast partnership has a different feel, regardless of who is the analyst, Al Michaels always feels like he's leading the broadcast. Tony Romo is the energizer to Nance. You and Aikman are different. You sound like college buddies. You sound like you both have a small glass of bourbon that you sip occasionally during the game. And it's an incredibly comfortable experience for me as a consumer. And I'll ask you what I asked Troy. How long did it take to curate that? It took longer for Troy and me to get there than it took Smoltz and I to get there. And and I'll say this. We have had that glass of bourbon in the booth, uh, although it's not bourbon. It's tequila, <laughs> splash of Grand Marnier, and grapefruit juice. I went through a couple of years where in the first inning of every postseason baseball game, I had the runner go get the biggest beer that the stadium sold. And I had it sitting there, and I would sip it from time to time to remind myself to relax and have fun. I'm just doing a game. And I brought that over to football 
but because Troy is a man of finer tastes, beer uh, <laughs> somehow became tequila, Grand Marnier, and grapefruit juice. We haven't done it in a long time now, but it was good for a stretch. And I feel like it's a good mental trigger to just chill and remind yourself that you're not refueling an F-16 in mid-flight. You're doing a sporting event. And if you treat it like anything other than that, you're doing yourself a disservice. All right, before you respond to Joe Buck um, on Colin Cowherd's podcast, I want you to listen to me read uh, this lengthy thread uh, on Twitter from Joe Buck yesterday in follow-up to this. I think he got criticized a lot for saying what he said. Here it is, quote, I don't tweet much anymore, but I feel compelled to send a few about this dumb drinking in the booth story that is complete clickbait. Also, me giving it more attention is moronic on my part, but so what? My bosses at Fox have not said a word to me about it. They know how dedicated I, we are, and how hard we work and how much we care about every word, that's in all capital letters, that comes out of our mouths. Most of all, they trust us. For those three hours and through all the prep, nothing, again, all in capital letters, nothing is more important. My only regret with anything I said on Colin's podcast was mentioning Troy Aikman. Nobody has more integrity or works harder than him, and I am blessed to call him one of my best friends on the planet. We have fun with what we do, and back then I started this trend in baseball, and when I went back to football, I told him I had the beer in my line of sight as a visual reminder and took a sip from time to time to be loose and remember to enjoy it. I have a tendency to get stressed and try to be perfect calling a game, as impossible as that may be. As I said with Colin Cowherd, it wasn't there to be consumed. It was there as more of a visual reminder that the world wouldn't end if I made a mistake. It was symbolic in one of the many things I mean, one of the many things I would use, like texting with my wife and kids or calling my mom at halftime just to chill. Troy had zero to do with it. I'm an open book, sometimes to a fault, but I just really don't like hiding anything. And then uh, he writes in parentheses, see hair transplants or battling depression and anxiety. But when a NewJersey.com headline writer says, I said that I had one or two drinks during a game, well, it is just another reminder that journalism is indeed dying and clickbait rules the day. Please listen to the podcast starting at the five-minute mark and let me know where I said where I said that. I didn't. I am 51, not 15. I believe I am old enough to understand what a drink is. That's quite a long response on Twitter to this. What do you make of it? Well, listen, I mean, you know, we've done uh, <laughs> remote radio shows from bars. Okay? Yeah. And uh, had a few I've pops. drank during the show. Yeah, I, me too. Never had a problem with it. And uh, so, you know, I'm not going to criticize him. Uh, it's funny, in press boxes in the old days, they used to have beer on tap in the press box. It was not unusual to have that. Uh, and I can remember uh, after a game, while I'd be writing my story, having a beer while I was writing it. 
uh, to sip on while I was, you know, in between writing. Um, it's an adult thing, you know. I know there's this idea that, uh, you know, you're not supposed to drink on the air uh, because, like he said, you're not you're not flying an, an F-15 or something like that. Right, but, uh, but, but you are at work. I know. I know you are at work. Uh, but, okay, look, you're, I'm the wrong guy to ask. I mean, I grew up in newsrooms where half the people in, in the newsroom had bottles in their desk. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So, did, did you? So, uh, no, I'm not, I've never been a liquor guy. No, you're, you're not. And I never kept guy. a six-pack there. So, but uh, I've, I've drank <clears throat> what other people have had, you know. But, uh, you know, I mean, the extreme of this is Howard Cosell, the, the story about him being drunk on the air one time. Giants-Eagles Monday, Monday night, night game. Football. Yeah. Right. And they had to take them off. Right. So, I mean, I, th- I think it's more of a big deal. Than, I think people want to hate Joe Buck. And they look for any reason to hate Joe Buck. I like Joe Buck. I think people like to hate the guys that they hear all the time, for the most part. They look for reasons to hate the guy who comes into their living room most of the time. And uh, it's... I don't get worked up about announcers. I think Joe Buck and Aikman, I've always liked Aikman. Uh, I think they're good, and I don't think this is that big of a deal. Real quickly, I've never had a problem with Aikman either, but you know many in the fan base have always had a problem with Aikman. They think Aikman's biased um, against uh, the NFC East teams other than the Cowboys. I've never found that to be the case. I, I'm not look. I'm not a massive Joe Buck fan. I never have been. I think he's fine. I think the team of Buck and Aikman calling NFL games is fine. I think Buck and Smoltz together, you know, are, are good. Um, you know, he's not my number one uh, right now. It would probably be Nance and Romo. I really love Tarico and Gruden. I like Tarico. Period. As a play-by-play guy, I think Buck's fine. Never been a massive fan one way or the other. Um, so this is not unusual and it's not a big deal. Um, Pat Summerall, you know, the stories about him are legendary. He obviously battled alcoholism. Uh, and whether he was drinking on the air or he arrived to the game, you know, completely, you know, stumbling, hungover, you know, uh, from the night before, those stories about those days with him and, and others probably are, are legendary. I think I don't have a problem with with a, a beer being you know uh, by his side and him having a sip of beer to try to ease the anxiety and 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 loosen up a little bit um, or tequila with Grand Marnier and and uh, and what was it was it lemonade in Grand Marnier whatever it was with the tequila um, hopefully it's good tequila um, I I don't really have any issue with that I, what I do find really interesting is the sensitivity and the defensiveness to it. Because uh, he said something in one of the in in part of the thread here in responding to this. Well, first of all, for him to say in the very first tweet, me giving it more attention is moronic on my part. Uh, he's right. He didn't need to respond yes. to this. He should have responded to his employer to say this is what's coming out from the Colin and this is what I meant, and leave it at that. Um, but he really probably brought more attention to this than 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 even it would have gotten otherwise. But I thought there was a couple of things in this Twitter thread that were very interesting. First of all, I did not know that he battled depression and anxiety. Did, did you know that? I mean, he said, 
I, I'm not. I have a vague recollection of him talking about it. Okay, yes. so you know, one of the ways that a lot of people who deal with depression and anxiety, you know, anxiety in particular, and the two are very linked, is alcohol. You know, so if he is a guy that gets very anxious and angst-ridden before a game, it's not, you know, it certainly wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. I'm sure many people would recommend against it. But for him to have, you know, a, a quick beer before going on air probably loosens him up a little bit if he's really tight. And, you know, he mentioned, you know, uh, I, I have a tendency to get stressed and try to be perfect calling a game, as impossible as that may be. And, you know, you have a pop or two, you're not going to really care as much about being perfect. You mentioned it, and I talked about it this morning. All of those live remotes that we would do from golf tournaments, we were out playing golf or out riding around and there's beer everywhere. There were many days where you and I, by the time we got on the air, had had a couple of pops. And by the way, before the show would start, we'd say, can we get another cent over here to the table? (laughs) And, you know, and those shows, and by the way, your demeanor not you, but just your the general demeanor of the talk show host more times than not is going to change a little bit. You are a little bit more loose. You may take a little bit more risks. It, 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 more risks. It could be a little bit more dangerous to be even buzzed, you know, in this day and age for sure, because you say the wrong thing, you're done. I mean, you're talking about Rivera, yeah. he makes the wrong decision. You say the wrong thing live, you're done. Um, but I thought it was interesting. I mean, this was one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, a seven tweet thread in response to this. Just the volume of tweets in regards to this and the way the way he said some things, it's defensive, it's sensitive. By the way, I'm not criticizing it. I'm actually trying to find out why. And I think it's because... The alcohol being present is a bit of a crutch for him. That's my psychoanalyst analysis of it. Knowing that he has suffered from anxiety and depression, I think having, you know, a little bit of tequila or a huge beer. Look, there's nothing better that when you when you get to the ball when you get to a baseball game, I love the big large beer that's super cold and you just start the game with that. That is that's perfect. Um, and it, it and it, it and it sometimes leads to too much, and sometimes it's exactly what you need. But I have a feeling it's a bit of a crutch for him. I really do. I don't know that for a fact, but I think it's interesting that he that he worked into the explanation, getting stressed, trying to be perfect. It's not that important, but this helps me sort of realize and loosen up and realize that it's not important. And, you know, I am an open book sometimes to a fault, but I really don't like hiding anything, including hair transplants and battling depression and or anxiety. It's fine. You know, guys, these guys are uh, and this might be a generality, but a lot of these guys who are in the public eye like this are, are, you know, on a regular basis, very often are really sensitive. They're sent. Al Michaels is very sensitive to criticism. Is he? I mean, you can. I mean, you read it in articles and interviews that he's done. Absolutely. Uh, and no one was more sensitive than Cosell. I mean, he read everything that anybody ever wrote about him. 
you would think a sip or seven uh, would make him a little bit less sensitive to everything. Uh, he obviously didn't have enough sips the day that he chastised Randy Moss uh, for mooning the crowd after that touchdown at Lambeau. Remember that? That is a disgusting act by Randy Moss. But blurting this out was foolish because now anytime Joe Buck makes a mistake, people will pounce on it. Yeah, he shouldn't have said it. He absolutely no. shouldn't have said it. People will pounce on it now. You know, I like this whole thing of people want to hate him. I think there's a lot that goes on in broadcasting where familiarity breeds contempt. I think guys that we used to like when they first started, and you hear them more and more, and I think people get tired of hearing them, and and they they're they're critical of them. I mean, look, we, I saw this with Billy Packer, uh, with a lot of people. Saw it with Tim McCarver. Guys like 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 that. I just think that you know the more the more the more somebody is on the air, Vital. unless they're Vince Gully and just likable. Yeah, although Dick Vital is just doing a whole act. I mean, as opposed to uh, you know really being who he is. I, I think you I get think uh, you the, the two examples that you gave actually really I think hit home for me. Like Packer was a legend early on, and then towards the end, there were a lot of people that were like, "All right, enough of Billy yeah. Packer having all the answers." And by the way, he was a very serious dude. You know, there wasn't there wasn't a big sense of humor unless you go back to the '70s when he was doing those games with Al McGuire. Um, right. Like there wasn't the ability to sort of laugh at himself. Look, familiarity does yeah. does often breed um, contempt. I mean, you and I both know it. <laughs> when you're on all the time, there are some people that really develop dislike for you. Uh, it bothers you very much. You and you engage on Twitter with these people. This is why Joe Buck. I, I don't know why he engaged on Twitter with this. I haven't read the comments. I don't know what they say. I, yeah, I'm sure there's uh, some but beauties the more in here. Likes he gives this is the. the I mean, now now he'll feel the pressure more than ever of not making a mistake because he's smart enough to recognize if he makes a mistake, his critics will point to the drinking. He's going to have to wind up taking a, a piss test before he goes on the air. I don't think I've ever been hammered on the air at all. I, I've never, I never let myself get to that point. Well, neither have I. But you know who I did? Mean, usually, yes. When I worked with Jake, when I worked with uh-huh. Jacoby doing the post game show, which I did the post game show with Joe three years, I think we did it three years together, and I loved Joe, still love Joe. <clears throat> we would get to that restaurant bar wherever we were doing the post game show, and you know, yeah, I'll take, I'll, I'll take, actually, get me two of them to start. I mean, it was never one beer; it was get me two of them to start, and it would continue as we watched, you know, the second half together. You know, he would usually show up at halftime. I was there for the whole game because I did the pregame show from wherever we did it from, and um, and then you know we'd get late into that postgame show, and Jake, Jake was rolling. Jake was definitely served appropriately, if not a little bit overserved, which led well, to. I'm, I, I, Go ahead. Well, it just led to the one moment that we, you know, we definitely heard about something that was said on the air. I mean, I, I think I shared with you the Donovan McNabb trade about being on ESPN and 
making the comment that I made um, as a guest on an ESPN show Easter night, the, the night that McNabb was traded to Washington in 2010. And I said, to me, it's got red flags written all over it. Why would Andy Reid trade Donovan McNabb within the division? And that was the only time I ever got a call on anything. I got a call from our CEO at the time saying, were you just on ESPN? I was. What did you say? Why? Well, because I got a call from the big guy, the guy that was part of the, as in the owner of the football team, um, and they're not happy with you. Uh, and I'm like, they, they, you, you were a killjoy. And I said, well, you can go back and listen to what I said. I was complimentary about Donovan McNabb and his career and the whole thing, but I made one comment, and it was – you know, the one thing I would be concerned about as a Redskin fan, which I am, in addition to being a media member, is why would Andy Reid trade McNabb within the division? There, to me, that's a big red flag. Well, they didn't like that. But anyway, um, I ended up getting a call back saying, ah, I, you know, I smoothed it over. It's fine. But the other time we got a call, and I didn't get the call, Jake got the call, was from Joe Gibbs. It was the year that they played the Packers at Lambeau Field, the year that Sean Taylor had all those interceptions in the same game. It was a phenomenal Sean Taylor game. They lost the game, and late in the postgame show, and it was getting late early, as, as Yogi Berra once said. Is that Yogi Berra? Getting late early? Yes. Um, Jake uh, was definitely um, well-served, and he just at one point just said, as long as Dan Snyder owns a team, they're never going to win. Ever. And, like, he was just – he just said, as long as he owns a team, they're never going to win. He had had it. And Gibbs called him the next day and said, you've got to call him and apologize. And I think he did, and that, that basically solved that. That's the, Oh, that was truth theorem that day then. <laughs> yeah. What what Jake was drinking was truth serum. It was truth serum. Well, Jake never yeah. held back. It wasn't like Jake held back anyway, even but um right. but I would join Jake in a couple, you know, t- towards the end of the game and at the beginning of the post-game show, but I couldn't as the host of the show let it get to the point where I was impacted. No, I agree, but ordering two ordering two beers the first when you when you first get the waitress or the waiter that's a veteran move. That, yeah. That's one of my moves. Of course. Because you don't know when you're going to get their attention again. Oh, it's a professional move. Yes. He's a total pro. Absolutely. Um, well, you were going to say something. No, that's what I was going oh, to you, say. That's I what you're going to say. I'm very familiar with the, the, the two beers uh, look you get from waiters and waitresses, and I do it because, you know, by the time I need a second one, you may not be available. You know... Uh, there's no doubt that the threshold for um, <clears throat> people going ooh or eye rolling is so much less in the arena of talk radio. <laughs> like uh, it, 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 Joe Buck has, like you know, p- comparatively in the eyes of of a sports consumer, a real job. You know, he's got like a real job. It's a very important job. He's a big-time voice of the NFL and of Major League Baseball on one of the big networks, and he shouldn't be, you know, compromising his ability to, to do an A-plus job. I think actually for him in his own mind after reading this thread, this is what enables him to do a first-rate job. And it, it, yeah. whether or not it's true or not, I think he thinks it is. But anyway, whatever. Uh, well, I like I like Joe Buck, uh, but 
but whoever gave him a show on HBO, that guy should still be drinking. He had a show on HBO? <laughs> yes, a talk show. I don't remember. Oh, it, it was Magic Johnson memorable. Oh, it was that bad. Yeah. I, God, I don't even, uh, I mean, I don't I don't even that, remember That it. executive on HBO should still be drinking today. I don't really even remember it. Um, I do remember the Magic Johnson debacle, and I remember being really excited because Magic was my guy, and I wanted to see if he'd be great at it, and he wasn't great at it. Uh, yeah. The um, I, I wanted to mention real quickly before we get to the to the big uh, uh, signing in baseball. Uh, last night, the Wizards, first of all, Maryland won. They took care of business. They are really right now on track to make a serious run to the NCAA tournament. And Aaron Wiggins was outstanding again, and he is getting confident, and that could really end up propelling Maryland not only into the tournament, but, you know, being a team that, you know, at least early on would be difficult uh, to play. Um, so I was happy about that. Um, and you know, for all of you that, you know, lit me up on the message boards because of my rant about Mark Turgeon yesterday, I appreciate that. I love getting the attention. Um, you guys, most of you know nothing about basketball. Um, had a great conversation with Walt Williams this morning and we talked about some of the things that Mark's really improved uh, on, um, zone offense, switching defenses, playing lots of defenses. Maryland's a well-coached team, regardless of you. Uh, dummies who who think otherwise. But again, I'm with you. The postseason has not been good enough. Has not been good enough. I get it. Um, And I want better too. Uh, But uh, I'm a big uh, proponent of be uh, very careful um, for what you wish for because you can do worse, a lot worse than Mark Turgeon. And Tommy, yesterday I advocated on the radio show that Damon Evans sign him to an extension. You know, if they had played in the tournament last year, more likely than not, Turgeon would have already had his extension. And, you know, this year, the coaching job that he's done with that team has been outstanding. If they're in the tournament and they make the tournament and they've got a decent shot to make it, it is an incredible um, job. Oh, by the way, here's some breaking news. The Eagles have traded Carson Wentz to the Indianapolis Colts for a 2021 third-round draft pick, a conditional 2022 second-round pick that could turn into a first-rounder. That's it? Wentz to Indianapolis for a third-rounder and a conditional second-rounder in 2022 that could turn into a first-rounder. So if he plays well, it's a first and a third is basically the way I would read that. Um, If he plays a lot, excuse me, it's a first and a third. If he doesn't play a lot... Um, it's a second and a third. Interesting. Really interesting. Do you know what Washington p- paid for Donovan McNabb in 2010, all right, for a quarterback that was much older um, and in the twilight of his career? Um, they gave up a second and a third. It was actually a conditional third that could have turned into a fourth, but he played enough in that first year and produced enough that it turned into a third. Uh, this, more likely than not, is going to be a first and a third for Carson Wentz from the Colts. And he reunites with Frank Reich, who with was Frank in Reich. Philadelphia. And um, yeah. it's going to be interesting, Wentz in uh, Indianapolis. Very interesting. All right, so that was news. Also, I wanted to say real quickly about the Wizards game last night because they've won three in a row. 
first of all, Davis Bertans, when he gets it going, man, God, can he shoot it. Same for Jamal Murray on the other side. But the Wizards did not foul Jamal Murray at the end of the game, up three. And uh, Scott Brooks said, yeah, we just haven't practiced that situation enough. And Jamal Murray made an open three from 30 feet. I'll, I'll concede that. But his range is probably more like 35 to 40 feet. And they let him shoot it with barely even a hand in his face. Um, you can't say that we decided not to foul because it's not something we were prepared to do because we haven't practiced it. It's not really that hard. If your choice is to foul up three rather than give their best shooter and one of the great shooters in the game a wide-open look, then foul. There's not much coaching to it. You know, it is a little bit tricky. You don't want to catch him in the shooting motion, but there was an opportunity to get him rather than leaving him wide open. If, you're, if your decision, Scott, is that you'd rather not foul in that situation, just say it. You know, we. I'm not a guy that fouls in that situation. Up three, you know, e- even their best shooters are still only 42% you know, 43%, so we still have a better than 50-50 chance of him missing it and winning the game. Uh, The issue, though, is not that. The issue is if you do foul, what are your chances of winning the game? Are they better than 58% if the guy's a 42% three-point shooter? Probably, yeah. Probably they're, they're more like 80% if you foul and put him at the line for two free throws down three. Um, just not a great explanation of it. Uh, but the Wizards have won three in a row. How about that? And they beat a good team last night in Denver. Denver was on the second half of a back-to-back. But, my God, there's no defense being played. And one last thing, Tommy, you know how much I love Russell Westbrook and have over the years. Woo! He is just, at times, horrible. He had eight turn Like, people will say, oh, another triple-double. 12 points, 12 assists, 13 rebounds. He had eight turnovers, probably should have been 10 or 11, and he was two for six from the free-throw line. Free-throw line. He's so lacking wow. in confidence from the free-throw line, and as a shooter in general. Anyway, um, what do you got on Tatis? That's a big deal for a really good player. Yeah. Uh, 14 years, I think, what, $340 million? Yeah. Uh and uh, immediately, the reaction on social media for Washington National fans was, what about Juan Soto? Okay? I mean, how much is it going to take to sign Juan Soto? When, when are the learners going to you know, make sure that one of their superstars you know, doesn't leave town? I mean, Juan Soto won't be a free agent, I think, for another four years yet. Uh, but, uh, uh, like I said, there's a lot of pressure uh, on the Nationals now among their fan base uh, to uh, do the same thing that the Padres did with Tatis with, with Juan Soto. Uh, and Mike Rizzo acknowledged on a, con- on a Zoom call this morning that they had preliminary talks earlier this year, but they didn't go anywhere, and it, they're just left it at that for now. But I would say to the Nationals, take care of Trey Turner business first. Trey Turner has two years left before he is, he is a free agent. He's one of the top five shortstops, maybe in all baseball, coming off uh, a COVID 60-game season where he batted 335. He's got a career batting average of almost 300. Uh, he's got power. He's got speed. I would argue that he's the leader of that team right now uh, moving forward. And, uh, but will Soto get a deal? Sure. Will Soto get a Tatis Jr. deal? Oh, he'd get more than that. 
I mean, he get. You know, I mean, I think he would get more than that if if somebody was actually trying to if if the Nationals were were, were willing to do it. He's a much better but player. I, the learners, yeah. And uh, but the learners aren't going to do that. Uh, but and again, for national fans, uh, it's very frustrating, and it should be frustrating to watch all your stars leave town, except for Steven Strasburg. Well, without but, Harper uh, and Rendon, this was gearing up to make sure that Soto didn't go anywhere. Well, but we thought the same thing when Harper. I know, left. but Tommy, surely they signed Anthony Rendon, and they didn't. Okay. Well, do you really think after? You know, passing on Harper and letting Rendon walk. You're going to tell me that you don't think that Soto is going to be the biggest deal in franchise history? I don't know if there's any reason to believe he would, based on what. They didn't let Rendon go because of Soto. No, right. Uh, I well, mean, they let Harper go because of right, Soto. Right, exactly. My in, fault. In some part. But, they, I, they, I mean, uh, am I confident that the, that the learners will do it based on their track record? No, absolutely not. So you better enjoy Juan Soto the last four years he's here. Isn't a shortstop valued at a much higher level than, you know, a left or right fielder defensively? And is that why? Defensively, of course. So isn't that why that this guy, that that Soto's deal might not be, like, much greater than Tatis Jr.'s? Yes. Yeah, but Tatis Jr. offensively is is, is dynamite as well. I yeah, mean, I know. He's, he's a better offensive player than Trey Turner, but not by much. Right. Uh, again, Trey Turner, that's where the concentration should be right now. That's where the emphasis should be. Sign Trey Turner to a long-term contract extension to keep him in Washington, then move on to the Juan Soto business. I want to watch Juan Soto here for the next 10 to 15 years, please. Thank you. I wanted that for Harper, too. I wanted that for Rendon. Rendon, didn't, Rendon was ready to move on. No, um, Rendon, Rendon was ready to sign. Rendon was ready to sign a couple of times. They, they could have signed Rendon uh, to a lot less money than what he, he wound up getting in, in, in that spring training. Rendon was willing to stay. The learners weren't willing to pay. All right, what else you got today? Let me get this out. We've gone on for too long. I got nothing else. We got, you know, we got bad weather here too. It's raining today. You know, mm, so I'm really sorry I, about I, that. I mean, I don't know if I'm going to be able to get by the pool or not. Well, I hope you can make it out there. Just bring that umbrella that you always have over your head to keep the sun from baking you out. Um, all right, my, uh, my parasol. Great, your parasol. Great job today. Uh, go get a couple of beers on me, and we will talk next week. Okay, boss. Back tomorrow with Cooley, everybody. Have a good day.